welcome to the GIST podcast, where we come together to meet the many wonderful people who make GIST what it is. A place where students learn to be self-directed, globally engaged, balanced, and future-ready. I'm Morgan. And I'm Mindy. And we're your hosts. So Noah, welcome back to the GIST podcast. Uh, when you were first interviewed a year ago, you had just arrived to GIST in the middle of a pandemic. And for the people that didn't hear about that interview, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. It's always exciting to be able to talk about all things GIS and education. Um, so this is my second year at GIS, and I'm very proud to serve as the middle school principal. Uh, prior to this, I spent eight years in Russia, where I was also the middle school principal. And before that, 10 years in Latin America with stays in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and in Colombia. So this is, I can't believe I'm saying this, it's my 21st year overseas and my 25th year in education. So I'm, I'm kind of a lifer now, mm-hmm. um, but really my niche has always been middle school, um, while I am always concerned with like, you know, whole school initiatives as well. But I'm a middle school guy at heart. So yes, as a 100% middle school guy at heart, what to you makes a great middle school? Well, there's some obvious answers, and I think you always have to say the kids and the teachers, right? Um, I'm always very wary if I'm interviewing someone for a middle school position and they don't mention children at all in their interview, because if you are a middle school person, you really, really like that developmental age group, right? But we have middle school age kids in all middle schools, so what sets our middle school apart, I would say, and many other middle schools is the idea of really making sure your program is tailored to where the students are in terms of their development. That means offering them a lot of chances for voice and choice, particularly advocacy. It's an age where kids can really get behind ideas and they get very excited about them. And through that panel or that pathway, kids are more likely to read more, write more, and speak more. And so it's uh, having an environment where you can tap into those things. As well, I think the extras really make a middle school, so the after-school clubs and activities, the sports offerings, the, the, the trips that are, are targeted towards, you know, things you want to develop in your kids, service learning, and those are all components that are well in place at this school. So I think, you know, when I think about middle school and you ask a middle schooler, like at their eighth grade graduation, what do they remember? They always remember the trips They always remember the sports teams and they remember the socials. Mm -hmm. But if you can have things in your program that come that come out of those conversations, then you know that you're 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 doing a pretty good job. Yeah, that's fantastic. So when we look at just specifically, could you give us some examples? Well, I mean, there's we're very proud of our just studio program, which is now in its second year and it's a problem based approach to instruction. And so if you are a student in seventh grade, just studio, you are achieving or you're, you're hitting the same targets in history and in English or, or social studies and in English as you would in what we would call, I wouldn't say the traditional GIST track, but our, our tried and true proven GIST track. So they're learning the same things, but they're getting there a different way. And that's by exploring passions, exploring problems. And I think as well that a lot of that pedagogy is carried over into our tried and true stream as well. So I think that we're more likely to try those types of instructional techniques in our school. As well, I think we're one of the only schools in the pandemic that didn't cut anything last year. So we ran everything, whether it was Jumpstart, whether it was an on-campus, online, hybrid, 
um, uh, Week Without Walls. We did all of our volcano events. We did our Bali stage every week. And it wasn't easy, but I think it was symbolically important because I think we have a real commitment to that holistic excellence. And once the school went synchronous with its instruction, I think it felt like real school and the kids were able to achieve those outcomes. But being able to offer to the best of our ability that whole package, that whole holistic experience to the middle schoolers, I think it speaks really loudly to kind of the, the, the aim of educators in this building in particular. Absolutely, and I, I will say on a personal level, just being an arts teacher here, the fact that we kept all of our arts programs going and you know really delved in and we're, we were able to work so collectively to make sure that everything stayed afloat and stayed like child focused, it was testament to all the effort you put in as well to make sure that nothing got cut last year. So. Well, the VPA, yeah. I, I should have absolutely <laughs> mentioned the VPA and that is our visual and performing arts and their performances were spectacular. Um, there is something special about sitting in that auditorium, you yes. know, at, you know, at, in December and, and in the springtime. But I think as well, it allowed a lot of, you know, parents who might have jobs that can't access those, those events normally to be able to watch their kids perform, you know, and, those are some of the things we didn't mention about, you know, what really worked well last year, like student-led conferences. We broke every single record in history for attendance on the part of parents yeah. because they were online. Yeah. You know? So there, there, there are a few silver linings to be mined. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, let's just step back for a bit. The world is changing very dramatically and quickly. Um, the skills and the knowledge our children will be expected to know when they enter the working world vary a lot now from when we were growing up, which... I say for myself was a long time ago. Um, so last year, you spearheaded the creation of the Just 2.0 model, and that includes a focus on students being future ready. So let's take a look at future ready. What does this currently look like to you? And what do you think schools need to do if they wanted to continue adequately preparing students for the demands they're going to face? Well, it's an interesting thing because if you were to hook me up to a lie detector test and say, Noah, do you know what kids are going to need 20 years from now? And I said, yes, that thing would spike, okay? <laughs> um, like an imminent earthquake. And, and I do believe strongly that any educator that will sit at a table and say with confidence what kids are going to be, have to be able to do 15, 20 years from now not only are they, they er are they arrogant, but they're also, they're kidding themselves, mm -hmm. right? We don't know, you know? Exactly. And so what we have to do is I think we have to look at kids today. We have to look where we are right now. I think we have to reflect on ourselves personally, right? And ask ourselves some questions. So for instance, I was amazing at using the quadratic formula when I was in ninth grade, but I would labor to say that I didn't get to be a principal at a wonderful school like just because of my math skills per se, right? <laughs> it's different skills that allowed me to navigate my career and, and be where I am right now. And so I think there's that degree of flexibility. I think there's also a large degree of that idea of kids really, really being able to reflect on their own learning and being a center at their own learning. So like when we say like, why do we do student-led conferences in middle school? It's because it's very symbolic because it's saying that, you know what, education is not something we're doing to you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is your education and you're at the center of it. And it is for kids to be able to articulate that and we have them reflect on those four R's. Mm -hmm. And yes, the learning model is fantastic and it is the path forward, but just for a long time has held the four R's 
right? Yes. And those ideas like being reflective, being resilient, being resourceful, these are the skills that if my kids graduate from GIST with the big four R's, I think they're gonna be okay, yeah. right? But with regards to the bigger idea of future ready, I think it's allowing kids the confidence to choose pathways themselves. I think it's allowing kids the confidence to believe that it's about learning and it's not about sorting, right? And so our students are very privileged to go to a type of school like this. If we can instill in them the confidence to take healthy risks mm -hmm. and to pursue their interests, but then also being willing to try things that they might not be interested in and still know that they are capable of learning that, those are aspects of being future ready because one thing I do believe in the future is I don't think that we're going to have the same jobs for 25 years, like lifelong careers, like, right. like our parents certainly did. Yeah. I think they're going to have to be a lot more agile. And so I think in order to be agile, you have to be confident that you can learn new skills quickly and effectively. And so I think mixing it up, giving kids choice and all those other aspects and looking at how we deliver instruction, mm -hmm. right, is, is important to, become, to becoming future ready. Like, why do we teach math? We teach math so they learn math or do we teach math so they become future ready? So it used to be like, we spoke to the various, you know, what if, the learning dispositions, right? Mm -hmm. And you had to have good learning dispositions to learn math, right? That was how we used to, or English or, or, or social studies. Now we're saying, the reason why we teach you social studies and the reason why we teach you math or vocal music is because we want you to become future ready, right? We want you to achieve balance. And I think if we flip that paradigm, just that mindset will allow our kids to be future ready, whatever future ready means. It's mm -hmm. yeah. great. Um, so just continuing on the thread of future ready, but a little bit of a different slant on it. Um, institutions around the world are steering their attention toward climate change. Okay, so this totally, we're really veering off, okay. Do you, <laughs> how do you think education regarding sustainability should fit into our middle school learning environment? Um, and overall, what role do you think schools should play as the world grapples with ongoing climate change? First of all, for the record, I'd like to say clearly that I believe in climate change. Hello. Okay. okay. So um, <laughs> I remember I used to walk home on snow drifts that were above automobiles when I was a kid, and it just doesn't snow like that anymore where I'm from. Yeah. Um, the world is absolutely changing. Um, to brag a little bit on our middle school, mm -hmm. um, we tie a lot of our learning to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, okay? And I think that it makes it real, right? Like if you're a kid in a classroom, particularly a seventh grader that wants to advocate for things and believe in things, but you're having them read Tom Sawyer without any context, mm -hmm then a lot of kids might be like, why am I reading a book that's over 100 years old? You know, like, what, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this education to me? But if you say to them, you know what, we're going to learn, we're going to study Huck Finn, right? Because it talks about inequities in this world. It talks about, you know, like the elimination of slavery. It talks about um, poverty. It talks about migration. And you tie it into something like the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Then all of a sudden, those learning engagements become real. So it's absolutely our responsibility to tie, the, to build that why, yeah. right? We're so good at the what, right. and we're pretty darn good at the how, but sometimes that piece of the why, we, we, it slips out a little bit, right? And so we are in 
a, an unbelievably beautiful country, which actually has a lot of the UN Sustainable Development Goals in progress in this country. Like there are a lot of things that are happening right now in Indonesia, right? That that we should be concerned about. Like yeah. there's climate change. You know, there's there's sustainability with the shark finning. There's you know there's deforestation. It goes on and on, right? And so the nice thing about that is we have the leaders of tomorrow in this building. Mm -hmm. These children come from fabulous families, some of them from very important families. And if they go down the right path, they might be those change makers. So to be able to tie our learning into something that is the greater good, learning in Indonesia to be best for the world, I just think that's our duty. And here, it's, it's such a great opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool because I can say, you know, even from a parent perspective, that you can see the students in middle school talking about it. It's not just a, when they grow up, they're gonna do amazing things. You can see it now. You can see kids that went and they're now in the high school and they've started, you know, programs about around SDGs. And so it's really cool that I think the you can actually see what you're saying and, and it's happening. Absolutely, and yeah. also in the activities, like Ms. Uh, Amy Cleary, our activities director, is very involved in bringing sustainability issues, not just into the classroom, but helping kids take leadership outside the classroom. So I think we are all in complete agreement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's part of our culture. It's not something that we do just because it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, Earth Day. It's yeah, right. like every day is Earth Day in the middle school. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So this will be your, your last question because we know you want to get out there to the middle school <laughs> students. Um, we know that it's the time of year where actually teachers are starting to look at their next school. And uh, uh, teachers around the world listen to this podcast when they're interested in GIS. And now that you're a bit more embedded, really embedded into the school, what do you think, what kind of teacher do you think would typically enjoy success at a school like GIS? I think that any teacher would be very lucky to find themselves at a school like GIS. I, I, I wanna start off by saying that. I've been all over the world um, and I am so impressed with this school. It's doing a lot of really, really great things and it's in a wonderful setting, okay? But it's not about us, it's about the kids, right? So when you ask me about which teachers are gonna be successful, I would say that means which teachers are gonna be successful on this type of team and which type of teachers are gonna be t successful for our kids. And so I think that one thing is, is there's a, that high degree of flexibility, right? Um, tolerance of ambiguity can be tough for educators. Um, we tend to be very, very well-educated people who are willing to enter into a profession where the remuneration isn't equivalent or it isn't, isn't scaled to the amount of education that we have, right? And a lot of the times we get into it because we like that structure that being an educator provides, right? When you teach at a, a school like this, you have to be a little bit more flexible. Um, I think you need to be a little bit more creative or at least extremely collaborative. But the bottom line is, I think you have to care deeply about kids. I think that there are some schools and there are some school systems out there, unfortunately, where you can just be a teacher of subjects, yeah. right? But as a middle school teacher at GIS, you are a teacher of children, and I think that's just so important. Yeah, you know? I would agree with that. Absolutely. So on that note, um, I told some of my sixth graders today that we are going to be talking, and a few of them insisted on asking you a couple questions. So <laughs> I'm going to just 
I'm going to tell you the two. We're about out of time, so maybe you can just choose one. No, okay? I'll go quickly. Okay. We can go like okay. a lightning round. Okay. <laughs> well, this might be long. This one says, what was your grade six experience like? I loved that. That's great. Okay. So my <laughs> grade six experience was one of big change because I went to a, a French immersion program where I had to do my school all day in French. I had to go to a whole other new school, meet all new people. And I was the youngest and the smallest in my class. And so it was a little bit fraught with anxiety at the beginning, but it ended up being really a wonderful experience. Awesome. I love hearing that. Um, and then what was your favorite subject in middle school? Okay. I need to be really honest. Okay. My favorite <laughs> subject in middle school was PE. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and I got one award when I was in middle school, and that was the English award. But then I ended up teaching math. So it just shows, you know, you never know who you are in middle school, right? But enjoy the ride. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's a great way for us to end today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's such a thrill to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you.